Well, I want to welcome you to our Christmas series. We're going to be talking about some carols you just heard, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, inside of your bulletin that you received today when you came in. You'll find an outline where we're going to use that song to talk about some important theological concepts that go along with the whole celebration of Christmas. I mean, what's Christmas all about? And we thought it'd be good to really talk about what some of these songs mean. Because if you just listen to our worship team uh, sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, I mean, it's a beautiful song. You may have sung it many times. It might be one of your favorites. But a lot of times we can sing along to stuff and have no idea what it's about. I mean, just look, listen to the first verse. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. I mean, did some Israelis get kidnapped? I mean, is somebody holding them hostage? What's going on? What's, what are we talking about here? And what can happen is we can sing along with things and not even be certain of the meaning of it. But these hymns, these, uh, these marvelous hymns and choruses that we sing at Christmas time contain a lot of truth straight out of the Bible. And I want to make sure that we don't miss it because when we understand it, it gives us all the more reason to sing. And that brings us to the first point here on your outline that God never wants us to mindlessly sing praises to him. Never. He hates that. In fact, in the Old Testament, the New, he warns us about this. In Ecclesiastes 5, Solomon wrote this, as you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. He goes on to say, don't make rash vows and promises you don't intend to keep. And don't say, oh God, I'll do whatever you want if you don't mean it. I mean, if you mean it, say it. But if you don't, don't. This, this is real. God wants us to treat him like a real person as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if we come into his presence, then we should mean what we say. Well, that includes what we sing. Just like when we pray, I mean, Jesus told his disciples, hey, when you go pray, close the door, tell God what you need, speak honestly and openly to him. And you don't have to use a lot of words because that's what pagan people do. They repeat things over and over again and all kinds of stuff. Just be thinking, if I say a lot of words, God's will be imp- God will be impressed. Or maybe if I use Elizabethan English, oh, thee, oh, thou, art thou, wherefore unto thee, okay? Maybe then God will listen. And he goes, you don't have to do that. Just talk to God. Tell him what you really mean. In the same way, when we sing praises, let's sing praises because we really mean it. And if you've never thought about what some of these terms are, I've highlighted some of them in your outline, that Emmanuel and Ransom, the branch of Jesse, the dayspring, the key of David, what does that mean? If you're not familiar with those terms, Today you will be, and hopefully this is going to add a lot of understanding and depth of understanding. These all come straight out of scripture and they're terribly important for us to understand. They help us understand how wonderful it is that Jesus Christ came into the world and why we celebrate his coming at Christmas. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that today we can look at an old carol. It's so old, nobody even knows who wrote it. People have been singing it for hundreds and hundreds of years. Nobody knows who came up with the tune either. It's just been sung so many times at Christmas. And so, Lord, I thank you for old carols like this. They're loaded with important truth straight out of your Bible. And today, Lord, I pray that you help us unpack a little bit of that. I don't want to stumble through Christmas. I don't want to sing mindlessly songs. I don't know what they mean. I want to sing a genuine praise to you from a joyful heart with my mind fully engaged If that's a desire of yours today, that this Christmas you would embrace all the truth that God has for you, just pray silently right there that God would show you something 
an important reminder today of what Christmas is all about. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Move me out of the way, Lord, and say whatever you want said to us today. Amen. Well, Jesus' birth really is something to sing about. That's where the, the whole, I love it when we sing Christmas carols. I hope you do too. We, we love to sing Christmas carols here at Center Point. There's nothing better to sing about. And here are a couple of reasons why. First of all, Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. Could we say those three words together, please? God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. If you wonder, well, where does that come from? Well, primarily, the reason we, and the reason we talk about it at Christmas is when an angel appeared to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. Listen to this. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. Mary was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, this is a completely different time, but what happened was when a man and woman were betrothed, it was an arranged marriage, and the betrothal period lasted for a year. And legally, you were bound at that point because your families had joined together and said, this man and this woman are going to be married in a year. The reason there was a year, a year was long enough to understand that if the woman had been involved in an immoral relationship with someone else, then she would conceive children during that time. That's the reason there was a whole year-long period of waiting. And at the end of that period, to make sure that this was exactly as it appeared to be, then they would become man and wife. But it was so serious that if you wanted, it was much more serious than engagement now, where you just give someone a ring and you set a wedding date, in those days, it was a legal arrangement between these families. And in order for it to be dissolved, uh, you had to go and actually have a legal process where at least two other witnesses had to verify that the man had gone and given the woman papers of divorce that, or annulment, that the marriage would not happen now. And so Joseph found out during the year waiting that Mary turned up expecting and sadly, I mean, it, she must have had some kind of nervous breakdown because she's saying God did it. Seriously, this is what he's thinking. He's going, oh, Mary's just gone crazy on me here too. Something's happened. And so he's considering how to do this privately. He has to have two witnesses and he's thinking, well, I could get my uncle and I could get my brother. How do we do this? This is what's going on. Real people, just like you and me, Joseph's trying to figure out what has happened here. He has a good reputation in the community, and he doesn't want Mary, Mary, if he wanted to be legalistic about it, he could insist that she be stoned to death. Certainly, he could have her publicly shamed and her life ruined, but he's loving and kind. We're going to have to, in one of the Christmases come, we'll have to talk more about Joseph. Man, there's a lot to be learned from his example here. But Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, now you know what he was considering, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She's not kidding. 
and she will have a son and you're to name him Jesus. By the way, in the margin, you can write God saves. That's what Jesus means. God saves. You're to name him little God saves. For he will save the people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and he took, his, he took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born and Joseph named him Jesus because that's what the angel told him to do. And so this fulfilled a prophecy that was given by the prophet Isaiah 700, 750 years earlier. A wicked king named Ahaz was failing to trust in the Lord and the prophet Isaiah told him to ask for a sign. And the guy said, I don't want to ask for a sign. I don't want to test the Lord who's pretending to be all righteous. And it's like prophet Isaiah goes, why won't you trust the Lord? Well, the Lord himself will give you a sign, a virgin will give birth to a child and name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It was a sign then to that King Ahaz that God was with him, whether he would believe in him or not. And it was a sign to us that when Jesus came, he would fulfill that prophecy that Mary would give birth to Jesus, even though she was a virgin. Now there's a life application here this means we don't need to live in lonely exile from God. Jesus became one of us so we can have a personal relationship with God. And we don't have to mourn in lonely exile here. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and chose to go their own way. The devil tempted them and they said, well, you know, you can be like God. You don't have to depend on God to show you the way to live. You can be independent of him. I mean, if he told you not to eat the fruit off of this tree, he must be holding out on you. And when Eve saw that the fruit was delicious, and he thought about how wise it would make her, and she would be just like God, that was tempting to her. And so she ate of the fruit and gave some to Adam. And that's when sin entered the human race. And because sin entered the human race, holy God had to cast sinful people out of the Garden of Eden. They were in exile. I mean, before that, every day... God would go for a walk with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day, it says, and he would talk with them and share his plans and his dreams. And they would talk with him out loud in his very presence. And after sin entered the world, they had to be removed from his presence until a permanent solution could come for their sin to be dealt with. And that's what we're talking about with Jesus. Here's what John says about this in John 1. Jesus came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God, to restore the relationship that had been broken through sin. Adam and Eve, when you read the accounts, uh, were considered God's first children. I mean, that's such an amazing thing. God was their father, and they were his kids, and they were living together in the Garden of Eden, and the relationship was broken. And people mourned this, and they lived in lonely exile. 
In fact, the ground now produced thorns and thistles, and none of that had happened in the garden. There was death now, and none of that had happened in the garden. Life was hard, and there was sickness and tragedy and pain. None of that apparently had been happening in the garden either. And when they finally had children, they thought back to the promise that one day God had promised them in the midst of all the curses that were upon them of sweat and toil and death and pain and childbirth and strife between men and women. God told them one word of hope. He said, there will be a descendant of your seed. Eve, there will come a descendant who will crush the serpent's head. The serpent, the devil, had been the one who tempted her. He'll crush him. And every time a child was born, maybe this would be the child, maybe this would be the child. Well, at Christmas, we celebrate when that child finally came, the one who would set things right again. And to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They're reborn, not with physical rebirth, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. It was necessary for Jesus to become a human being, and we'll tell you why in just a minute. So that's what Emmanuel means. God coming into our world to rescue us and set things right again. Now that's something to sing about. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Could we say those three words one more time? God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. Now Emmanuel, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Well, that's point two. Jesus paid the ransom to set us free from the penalty of sin. In biblical times, the ransom was the amount you paid to get a relative out of slavery. You didn't have bankruptcy courts in those days. If you couldn't pay your bills, you sold yourself. And you worked off the debt in payment of kind, in labor. If I couldn't pay the debt, I became your butler or your maid or your farm worker or whatever was necessary, whatever you needed, your hired hand. But I didn't get wages. I just moved into your house and you provided clothing and food for me, but I had to work. My wages all went toward paying the debt. You could be sold into slavery the rest of your life. And if a relative took pity on you, then you went and met with the person whom you owed money and they would work out terms of what the ransom would be to set you free. Well, the problem is, is that as children of Adam and Eve, we inherited a sin nature and because we've sinned, the ransom is death. So, I can't pay the ransom without dying. I can't have a right relationship with God unless I die. And God wants a relationship. He wants me to become a child. So somebody has to pay the ransom for me. I can't pay the ransom for you because I'm just as much a sinner as you are. And you can't pay the ransom for me because you're just as much a sinner as I am. And you might be going, well, hold up, John. I don't know if I'm as much a sinner as you are, but that's what the Bible says. In fact, listen to this. For everyone sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. 
For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. This is why it was so important that God be with us. Only God could come into the world sinless. That's why it's also significant that Jesus was born of a virgin. He didn't inherit a sin nature like you and I did. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And people made right with God when they believed that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood in their place. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. That Jesus died in my place. That's what it means to come to Jesus. I'm a sinner. I deserve God's wrath. I deserve his punishment. But Jesus took my place. Jesus himself said this in Mark 10, 45. He said, even the son of man, Jesus is talking about himself here, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus paid the ransom. Could we say those words together? Jesus paid the ransom for me and for you. Now that's something to sing about. Oh, this is starting to make sense. Oh, from the depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Rejoice, rejoice. God with us shall come to you, O Israel. It goes on. We are no longer slaves to Satan. This is the third thing I want to draw out from this song. It was one of the uh, verses there. O come thou branch of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. From the depths of hell thy people save. What are we talking about here with being slaved from Satan's tyranny? Well, in the garden, when Adam tempted, when Satan tempted Adam and Eve to eat from the forbidden fruit, Satan had rebelled against God. And he was a fallen angel. And basically he was asking Adam and Eve to sign up with him, to join up with him against God. I mean, that's what was happening. Join me. Listen to me, not God. Follow me. And when we give in to our sinful nature and other things, I mean, he leads us around as if we have a hook in our nose. Listen to what the scripture talks about this. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood for only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all those who lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. That's Hebrews 2. Now listen to Ephesians 2 and I'll tie it all together here for you. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. I mean, in older translations, this is the prince of the power of the air, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. That's what it means. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God, and all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our human nature. By our very nature, our sin nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. So Jesus came into the world to pay the ransom for our sin and set us free from the captivity to the devil. Paul said, all of us used to just follow the devil all the time. 
I mean, that's one of the most amazing things. When you come to Christ, you start realizing, oh my goodness, I thought I was free, but I was just following the devil around like a puppy dog. Whatever he told me to do, that's what I did. And he was constantly just throwing breadcrumbs out saying, hey, do this, do this, do this. And I just followed him, never thought about it. Because he knows what my sinful nature wants and he just tempts me to that. And man, on my own strength, I have no power to resist him. Even if I know it's terrible. Even if I know the relationship's bad for me, I'm gonna go that way anyway. Even if I know I can't handle this because it's too addicting, I'm gonna handle it, I'm gonna chase after it anyway. But then you come to Christ and not only does he forgive us of our sins, he places his Holy Spirit inside of us. And now for the first time in our lives, we have the power to say, no, I'm not going that way anymore. I'm following Jesus. And if there's any message the devil does not want you to hear at Christmas time, it's this. You don't have to follow him anymore. You can follow Jesus. Give your heart to Jesus. He'll give you a new heart. He'll forgive all your sins. He'll place his Holy Spirit inside of you. He'll give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He'll change you from the inside out. And what I'm trying to tell you is, is, I mean, this is something to sing about. I don't have to follow the devil anymore. For the first time in my life, I can choose to do what's right and actually have the power and conviction to stand my ground. That's all made true because of what Jesus did on the cross and through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not strong enough to do that on my own. Even if I knew it was bad before, I wasn't able to resist it. But thanks be to God through Jesus, there's new life and there's power to be free. Hmm. But what was that part about O come thou branch of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. Well, that's point four here. Jesus is, Jesus is the branch of Jesse. And you go, who's Jesse? Jesse was David's dad. Part of that family line. David, the guy who killed Goliath with a rock and a slingshot. David, a man after God's own heart. David, the best king Israel ever had. David, the one whom God made a covenant with. And he said, uh, he sent the prophet Nathan to him and he told him, hey, David, I'm, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to um, make you king over my people. And I'm going to help you establish a place for my people in Israel and the capital city of Jerusalem and one of your descendants is going to build a temple for me there. And one of your descendants on down the line will establish the kingdom over God's people forever and ever and ever. David marveled at this. I mean, before he died, he praised God. He goes, who am I? I was a shepherd boy. And you pulled me out of the sheepfolds and you allowed me to be king. And then you told me I'd have descendants that would come after me. And apparently down the line, some great descendant who will reign forever and ever. And David didn't know how it would all work, but he said, God, this is too wonderful for me. The prophet Isaiah again talked about this too. Again, 700 years before Jesus was born, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit in the old root. When David's family line continued on in the pages of the Bible, it doesn't look like any of the prophecies to David that he would have a descendant that would sit on his throne forever would ever come true. 
He did have his son Solomon who did establish a magnificent temple for him in Jerusalem. But Solomon's, but David's grandson, Solomon's son, was uh, foolish. And the kingdom split into north and south. The northern part lived for a few hundred years. The southern part lived for a few hundred years after that. But eventually all the people were taken into captivity. And it looked like the family line was broken. And there would never be a king sitting on the throne. And so it was like David's family tree was just a stump. It had been cut off. And the prophet Isaiah said this, out of that stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch. He's talking about Jesus here. Bearing fruit from the old root, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He'll delight in obeying the word of the Lord. He'll give justice to the poor, make fair decisions to the, for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He'll wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. This is all significant because in Luke 131, when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, here's what he said, Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. God saves. He'll be very great and be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. And he will reign over Israel forever and ever and his kingdom will never end. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Could we say those words together? God keeps his promises. That's something to sing about. When Jesus said my sins were paid in full, that he had paid the ransom in full, I can take it to the bank because God keeps his promises. When Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to go prepare a place for you and everything's ready, I'm going to come get you. God keeps his promises. If that's good news to you, would you say amen? That's what we're singing about. Oh, come thou branch of Jesse free us from the devil's tyranny. Not only am I free from the devil's control of my life, God keeps his promises. He kept his promise to David. He'll keep his promises to me. That was significant. Fifth point I like to make out of the song is Jesus is the day spring. We don't have to walk in darkness anymore. O come thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Well, advent just means coming. And dayspring means dawn, sunrise, when the day is springing forth. Tomorrow morning you'll go, darling, look at the lovely dayspring. Okay, that'll be wonderful. My wife will go, what are you talking about? Okay. We don't have to walk in darkness anymore. The new light is dawning. Listen to this. John the Baptist was a relative of Jesus, a cousin. It'd be the closest way. I don't exactly how else to define it other than that, but a relative of Jesus. And his father, John the Baptist's father, was told by Gabriel that John the Baptist would be born to, uh, John the Baptist's dad was Zechariah. Zechariah was old. His wife, Elizabeth, was old. They'd prayed for children for years, never had any children. God answered their prayer late in life. They had a miraculous baby. John was born when they were both very old. And Zechariah doubted Gabriel when he told him this. He goes, how's this going to happen? I'm too old to have kids. And Elizabeth's too old to have kids. How do I know this is going to happen? And Gabriel goes, well, okay, so you want some kind of miraculous sign? Well, how about this? You're not going to talk 
for nine months till the baby's born. How's that for a sign? And he went, okay, because he couldn't say anything. Anyway, (laughs) I guess. Anyway, so Zechariah, finally the baby's born, and somebody hands him a writing tablet. He hasn't been able to talk for nine months. What's his name? And And the angel had told him to name him John. And he said, his name will be John. And when he wrote that out, all of a sudden he could speak again. At the end of Luke chapter one, man, he talks about a whole bunch of things. And a couple of verses that talk about the day spring, this comes right out of Zechariah's speech. Man hadn't talked for nine months. And now you can't shut him up. He's got so much to say. And here's what he says about John and about Jesus being the day spring. And you, my little son, John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the most high because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy, the morning light, the day spring from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us in the path of peace. That's right out of Zechariah's speech. That's where day spring comes from. Oh, come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by that advent here. John the Baptist was born a few months before Jesus and Zechariah was prophesying in advance because the angel had told him this. He said, you, my little son, holding this baby, you're gonna be a forerunner to the Messiah, the one who pays the ransom, the one who allows us to have a personal relationship with Jesus so we don't have to be slaves to Satan anymore, the one who is the rightful heir of David's throne, and he's going to come bring light into a dark world. We're going to know which way to go. And that's what John the Baptist did. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness because you have the light that leads to life. You don't have to be a slave of Satan anymore. Come to me. Come to me. If you're weary and heavy laden and your life is burdened with sin, come to me. I'll forgive you sins. Come to me. I'll ask the Father to give you the Holy Spirit. He'll be in you and he'll empower you and he'll change you. Come to me. I'm preparing a place for you in heaven. Just follow me. I'll guide you. You don't have to walk in darkness anymore. Now that's something to sing about. Very scant on the amens on that one. But I would tell you, Think about it. It is something to celebrate. Sixthly, Jesus has the key of David. I mean, O come thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. That doesn't really rhyme, does it? Anyway, But the idea is, is that Jesus has the keys. This comes out of the book of Revelation. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. Jesus is speaking here. He has the keys. In Revelation chapter one, he said this, I'm the first and the last, I'm the living one, I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in the grave. When you have the keys, you have authority, you have access, you have control. When I was a kid, grew up in a farm community, there were limited places where you could go and play basketball on a good court, and 
about a, 10 miles away from my dad's farm, there was a small college and they had a really good gym. Well, one of the coaches for that college, his son was a friend of mine. And I maintained a great relationship with that uh, guy because his dad had the keys to the gym. And a bunch of us, when we wanted to go play basketball, we would always hang out with this guy because we could get in the gym. If we had the keys, we had access. Without the keys, you can't get in. But thank God, Jesus has the keys of David. Remember what was promised him? You're going to be a righteous ruler, David. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to put someone on the throne who will be ruler forever and ever and ever over all the kingdom that I give you, the kingdom of God's people, the rule of God's people. The capital city, Jerusalem, and other things. In the book of Revelation, we find there's a new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven that will last forever, a heavenly home for God's people. And the one sitting on the throne is the Messiah, the prophesied uh, shoot, the, the branch that came from the family of David, who has the keys of hell and the grave, who has the keys to heaven. He can open doors that no one else can open. Whatever he shuts is shut. And his name is Jesus. And if we come to him, he has the keys to eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus said this to his disciples. Why not? He's the only one with the keys. I couldn't get in the gym. I didn't have the keys. I can't get into heaven on my own. I don't have the keys. But you know what was great was? I couldn't get in the gym, but I knew somebody who could. I don't know the way to heaven, but I know Jesus, and he says he is the way. He has the keys. O come thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and clothe the path to misery. Last observation here. Over and over again at every verse we sing, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to thee, has come to us. Emmanuel has come to us. This is so important. We sing it over and over again, that song. It's so important because we didn't come to him. He came to us. We were foolish sinners lost in our sin, and Jesus came to find us. When he was telling his disciples about this, he said, you got to think of this like this. Like a man, has, like a shepherd has 100 sheep, and one of them wanders away. He's going to leave the 99 in a safe place, and he's going to go look for the lost sheep and fi find him. That's what he did for me. Jesus found me. For me to say I found Jesus is like a mouse. C.S. Lewis says, that's like a mouse turning around saying, look, I found a cat. The cat was pursuing you all along. For me to say, I came to Jesus, I found my way to Jesus. Jesus pursues us. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel, God with us, has come to thee. You didn't go to him. He found you. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so we might have eternal life through him. And when Jesus died on the cross, he prayed for the very people who were crucifying him, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus came into the world and died on the cross for our sins before we were ever even born. Let that sink in. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is what we sing about at Christmas. A love that pursues us when we don't deserve it. A love that gives us victory over slavery to the devil. A love that gives us victory over sin and death. A love that says that we are going to be living a new life as if dawn has opened our lives and now we're going to see things as they really are. Man, that's something to sing about. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Ransom. Us. Oh, come, branch of Jesse's tree. Set us free from Satan's tyranny. Oh, come, day spring, come and cheer our spirits by your advent here. Remove the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel, God with us, has come to you and me. Today is the day of salvation. All we have to do is respond. Do not miss this. This is something to sing about. Will you, will you pray with me, please? Lord, I just love this hymn. There's so much good theology here, I could talk for hours. We just scratch the surface. But I thank you, Lord, that you have the keys and you've opened the way to eternal life. Oh Lord, I pray that we will surrender to you. I pray that we will, you will strike us anew with what you've done for us. And we will never take your love for granted, but we will rejoice. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for Christmas. In just a moment of silence, if you have not given your heart to Christ, would you take a moment right now and just say, Lord, I didn't know. Now I know. Lord, I want that forgiveness. I want freedom from Satan's tyranny. I want eternal life. You're the one who has the keys. I want you. Father, we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.